want you to open your Bibles this morning to Psalm 139, and we'll get to that here in just a moment. But I want to talk to you today about our call. I want to talk to you today about who we are and what God has planned for us. Of course, I can't cover all of that in the, the time that we have, but I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you with the call that is for all. Number one, God has a calling for each one of us. And what that means is that we're special. Yeah, 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 I know. You hear a lot about that, don't you? You're special, you're this, you're that. And we've kind of created a bit of a narcissistic society. But the truth is, when we believe it from the right source, it does something quite different. When God tells us you're special, then you can rest assured you are indeed special. There's nobody trying to sell you something. Nobody trying to get one over on you to inflate your, you know, your sense of well-being and then pull something on you. God's not doing that at all. When God says he loves us, we know it's true. And that he has something for us to do, we know that that is true. This truth excites us and it scares many. It, it truly does. As I thought of this, I realized and after so many years in ministry, you know, and, and, and having preached this message before and communicated this to individuals, um, I do see people at times doing different things. They'll even either embrace it and just run hard after it, and they say, I was made for this, and they pour in, and you see it. Or you see, you tend to see people sometimes drift away or sit in the outside or, or kind of like the, the, uh, the, the, the ones at the dance who would just sit on the wall, you know. They like being at the dance, but they haven't danced. And you can't really say that you went to the dance unless you actually get on the floor and do it, right? You know, I went to a wedding yesterday, and you know, they had the, the dance, and I don't like doing that, folks. <laughs> so about all my kids, now that they're older, they're just looking at me, Dad, get out there and dance with your wife. Let's go. And, uh, you know, they had that dance where if you've been less than a year, you have to leave, and if you're five, at younger than five, so we're out there quite a bit of time after 26 years, and, uh, but we weren't nearly, there was somebody that's married 60 years that stayed out on the floor, God bless him, but, uh, you know, but you got to get in there. I can't say that I was a part of that celebration until I got on the floor and actually did it, but I reminded my kids, I won the dancing contest in third grade. <laughs> this would have been like in the 70s, so man, I had my groove on, all right? I've just lost my groove. I don't know where it went. But anyway, let's talk about those who are a little bit intimidated by the idea of having a call, being special to God. And so, you know, being afraid of your kingdom destiny just doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, it just doesn't make sense. So if you're one that has recoiled from that and you haven't gotten yourself into the game, so to speak, you haven't gotten out on the dance floor to really use your gifts, I, I'm going for you today, all right? I'm going to drag you on the dance floor because God made you for that. You were created to serve God. You were created to use your unique gifts. Now, you may not be the one that they push out in front. You're in the center of the dance floor. You might be right off on the side. You might be one of those who are in support. You might be encouraging. You might be so many parts, uh, a different part of the whole scheme of God, but you have a part. And so... Why does it not make sense? You know, if you look at 1 John 4, 7, and 8, it says that God is love. God is love. 
And it begins with that. And you can do a study on that. Perhaps I'll come back to it. But you can look at that, and it tells us what love is. But God, when, God, when we understand that God loves us with an everlasting love, an unshakable love, it doesn't make sense that we wouldn't trust him. It doesn't make sense that when he says, look, I have made you to do something that we would say, oh, I don't really believe that. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that we would be afraid of our living God who has some, so much more for us. In Psalm 139, 1 through 6, and we can read this because it just wipes away. It, it takes us to a, such a deeper understanding of, of who God is and us related. Let's read that. It says, you have searched me, Lord. And you know me. You know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. God knows who we are as a person. Every part of our psyche. He says, you know when I sit and when I rise. God knows what you're doing all times. Even when you don't want, to, you don't want people to know what you're doing. He knows what you're doing. He says, you perceive my thoughts from afar. God knows what we're thinking. What we're dwelling upon. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. Isn't that amazing? That'd be a wonderful gift to have, wouldn't it? Maybe not. But God can handle it. Because God knows who we are. And God has already known who we are. And he died for you and me anyway. Can you imagine God knowing what every word has ever been spoken before any word has come to be? I don't know if that's blowing anybody's circuits, but it should. Because when you think about, you know, the idea of who God is, most of us, are, our idea of God is too small. But when you think of God's omniscience, God knowing everything, that means everything, every bit. Every, the smallest bit of DNA to how all that happened to you and me. Jesus tried to get that across to say that my father knows every hair on your head because that was the smallest and most intricate part of what they could think of at the time. I mean, he could have talked about DNA, but they all would have been going, DNA? We know what it is now. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And boy, is that true. We can, we can listen to the words of David as David is getting this revelation. But what we know is that God knows everything about us. And because that is true, he still loves us. He's still for us, and he still wants us to be a part of his plan. The uniqueness of every human being is what plays into the, the heart and, and message of God. If you can think in terms of creation and how every part of creation, every, every, every part of how uh, the microscopic elements and DNA and, 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 and the, the, the natural elements all work together with photosynthesis and all the natural things that we see, the natural laws that all work together to make this wonderful earth. That's how God, intricate God is. Now take all that thinking and place it on, on us and how we are to interact and carry out his wonderful plans. It's a whole lot bigger than one church. It's a whole lot bigger than one people, a race, a kind. It's a whole lot bigger than all of that. But the whole thing does shut down 
when an individual decides not to participate or to say, no, I'm not sure if I believe that. We know that God is always going to provide for us, that God has already given all that we need to carry out our purpose and plan. It's in us. Now, yes, it might, it might need to be educated. It might need to be uh, encouraged. It might need to be given resource. It might need all the necessary things to make all that happen. But God's ready to provide for all that. That's all he needs. You know, I, I love that statement that I used to hear growing up, that a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Remember that? And it's so true. A life is a terrible thing to waste. It's more than just a mind. It's a gift. And think of that now. A gift. The gifting that is in each one of us, that God knows every part of us, is a terrible thing to waste. So why are we afraid? Why do we not? Is it, is it that lie that we're not good enough? Is it that lie? See, if you understand God in context to what I'm talking about here, then goodness doesn't even come into the, to the discussion. I mean, what does my goodness have anything to do with God's reaching for me? God didn't take that into consideration, especially when he knew everything that was going to, be, was going to do before anything ever happened. We're reading Bible here. That God could have easily just said, man, this is, this is a pretty wicked bunch. I might as well just torch the whole earth and start all over again. And he, of course, we know he, he did that with a flood at one time. And yes, fire is coming. But God said, look, I'm providing a way. And it's very simple to receive. See, in theology, they talk about common grace and special grace. And this is one of the more simple concepts. And if we can get it, it's, it's cool. See, common grace is what God gives to every human being on the planet. He provides sun and rain and air to breathe. God gives the ability to make wealth. God gives, he, he gave us a, an earth upon which to live and to have our being. That's God's common grace, and he gives it to all man. Every single human being is given that gift of earth and the, and the opportunity to live. But then there's another kind of grace, and it's called special grace. And that's where God gives his son. And that God, that's where we go from just being, you know, tenants to being owners. That's where we go from just being one of the hired helpers to one of the children. And we all know that Jesus used that analogy over and over again. He wanted us to get it to say, look, you know, God is adopting you and he's giving you the full rights and privileges as sons and daughters. And there's so much that can come from that and that special grace that can pour out. And I wonder, my friends, have we even scratched the surface? Have we even barely tapped into its potential of what God provides by the work of the cross, by his favor as being children of God, when we really understand it and really start going into his study every morning and saying, God, I really need to do this for you. Can you supply that? And God's like, sure. All I'm waiting for you is to ask. If you will just step out onto the floor, I'll meet you there. Second thing regarding our calling is this calling is based on God's omniscience. And I talked about that a little bit. But if you look in Psalm 139, verse 14, 
Such a powerful revelation from David. He says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, you can go back and read, and I'll do it. I'll, matter of fact, I'm going to read it very quick, quickly, and then we'll come back to verse 14. But verse, starting in verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And you know what? People try to do that. Human beings try to do that in so many different ways. We've even tried it, haven't we? To be honest. Where can I flee from your presence if I go up to the mountains? Matter of fact, let me, let me just say this. Oh, man. Yeah, I can't go to church today because I, I, I don't want to get into the presence of God. I'm, that might really just mess up my day. Do you not think his presence is with you right there in your home? That's what David is saying. And David came to that conclusion, I guarantee you, in a very practical way. <laughs> he said, man, I can't. I mean, I, I can just see David going, man, I can't, I can't run from God. He's everywhere. You see, David did try to run for years because God had given him a kingship. And he said, where is the kingship? All I'm seeing is a bunch of bull stuff. The current king wants to kill me, and he tries to run from God. But then he comes to the end of himself and says, where can I run from God? God is everywhere. He's after me. He's doing this for a reason, to build me, to build my character, to prepare me for to, be, to be that king. If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my depths in the bed, you're there. I'm, uh, you're, my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise in, on the wings of the dawn, and if I settle on the far side of the sea, in other words, anywhere here on the planet or the heavens that David was aware of, even there your hand will guide me. Your hand will hold me fast. David had come to a revelation that it wasn't just fleeing from God. The whole time God was holding him. If I say surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. For darkness is as light to you. Think of that one. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully well. Your works are wonderful. The most important part of the verse is the next five words. I know that full well. See, God knows you. He knows me. And, he has, he, and what he thinks about us and what people think of you really doesn't have any bearing or impact upon you until you believe it. Until you believe it. It's like the coach, and I've done a lot of coaching. And I can speak to a young man, and I can say, look, you have great potential. But if, if their innards, in, innards, their soul has been damaged by some other person who has told them that they're worthless Man, those words are just bouncing off the exterior of their soul and not penetrating. Man, you're awesome. You have potential. And they're like, no, I don't. No, no, no. But if you can get through and those words begin to get into and, and, and get into your mind and into your heart and you begin to believe it in your inmost being, then something comes to life. Because see, folks, we've been made for that. We've been made to hear the very words of God. Our heavenly daddy look at, to us and, look at us and say, you are a masterpiece. I knit you together in your mama's womb. That because the womb is my place. And what is taking place there is nothing less than miraculous. Do we really believe that? Then may I suggest 
Do you live that on every level of your life? And in your thinking, David's revelation is incredibly powerful. He says, I know that full well. In other words, David got to that place where he knew it. He knew it, he knew it, he knew it. And that made him kill a giant. That made him be able to kill a bear and a lion, do incredible things. Jesus said, look, you can say to this mountain, be picked up and thrown into the sea. You can say to that fig tree, die. You can lay hands on the sick and see him recover. You can do an, what, what was the qualifying factor for all of that? If you what? If you believe. Now, there is something so important, more important than just believing that God can do it. You've got to believe that who can do it. And you can't get there until you believe that God loves you and he's for you and he died for you and that you're something special. Something special to him. So it doesn't make any sense that we're afraid. Our calling is based on God's knowledge of us. See, biblical, well, the other point here is God doesn't make any mistakes. God can use our brokenness both inside and out. I can talk a lot about this, but I don't have the time. But we, God can use a person in a wheelchair, amen? God can use a person that has lost limbs, amen? Remember Jerry, uh, Joni Erickson Tata, we were sharing that, that story with our children the other day. She paints and writes and does everything just with her mouth. Boy, is that not a bit of a wonderful rebuke? That for those of us who have a lot, all of our limbs all the capacity of our mind, all the abilities, all the opportunities, and yet we're not using them for the glory of God. That just ought to be a little bit of a rebuke, my friends. See, God doesn't make mistakes. God can do miraculous things, and I love that about God. Once you get a hold of that, once you really get a hold of that. But let's talk about the internal things, too, because, you know, our culture and that we're going to be talking about next week with, with a bunch of pastors, what it's doing is it's a snowball. It started off a rock. It was a lie. And that lie has continued to snowball through generation after generation after generation. And it's picking up people along the way. And it's gathering up with worldly belief. And, and we're all comforted in, in, in every generation of, of the lies. And those lies build upon lies until everybody thinks they're the truth but they've rolled so much farther away and have built up this, this whole set of lies that when we get back to the truth of God, God's word, it just seems so foreign, and how can that be true? Because see, that's what it, it can do. And so we've got to begin to go back and lovingly tell people, look, a lot of your life is based on a lie. Beginning with, who God has made you to be. And we have a lot of brokenness. And a lot of times when we come to God, we just think, man, I'm so far away from what God is really after in me. I, it's not even worth trying. Man, don't do that. Because God sees all things. And if God sees all things and he says he loves you, then he's more than ready. Psalm 23, verse 3, he says, he restores my soul. Very simple words. But I'm telling you, I believe it with all my heart because I've experienced it in my own life and I've helped people find that for many, many years. And you don't need to have, I mean, you don't have to go through hours and hours of counseling or therapy to get to the place. If you'll just take Psalm 139, and if you'll just read it, and you'll believe it, and you come to that same conclusion that David did, and I know that full well, 
then you're going to be restored. God is going to begin to heal you on the inside. And you can begin to push away from those lies, those fears. See, biblical theology, in other words, knowing who God is, his omnipotence, all-powerful, his omniscience, all-knowing. When we know these things, omnipresent, everywhere present at all times, biblical theology helps us think rightfully of God and then to think rightfully of everything else. It starts there. It helps our mind, and then we can make conclusions. See, I, I think we've turned into a people who don't think well. We don't think well. I mean, you ever said that before? Man, you mixed up. You don't know what you're talking about. And even more today, Christians, we've, we've wandered into ways of thinking that are not based on truth. But if we'll go back and we'll start with who God is, see, that's why they, teach, they, they, they taught young men like me when I first walked into Bible college. They said, okay, if you're going to be any good, David, to anyone, you've got to know who God is first. When you understand him, you'll understand his word, right? And when you understand his word, you'll understand how you relate to it. And when you understand that, now you're like, you can get on with living a life that will be blessed, that will experience the goodness of God. And I've enjoyed that goodness of God. I've been very grateful, but it's come down to often having to fight through the lies and, and the things that everybody else is doing to get back to, but wait a minute, wait a minute, this is, this is not what he said. And he's my God, and I follow him. This is what he teaches. And I might have to suffer for that for a time. Thirdly, God's calling will come with peace, provision, and purpose. I'll go through these quickly. So you've got a calling on your life. And if you've been fearful of it, you just need to, you just need to give up and give in and let him do it. Because you know what? In the end, you're going to be a whole lot happier. And you're going to draw so much closer to God. Because often I find that's what Christians really, really want. They want the intimacy, but not necessarily the sacrifice. Jesus went up to every one of those disciples and said, follow me. But in order for them to follow him, they couldn't split themselves in two, right? They couldn't keep being fishermen and being a follower of Jesus. It said they dropped their nets and they followed him. So if we're going to follow him, there, there are going to have to be some things we have to give up. There are going to have to be some things we turn away from. But that's kind of scary. I'm not, you know, I'm not uh, purporting or, or, or thinking or encouraging you to, for all of us to go into full-time ministry and make our living that way. No, 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 no. But that you just live your life differently. An understanding that you have a call, you have a purpose. That you're not just every day taking up space but that your uniqueness, your gifting, your calling, your purpose, your, your, your placement here on this earth has a unique and divine purpose. And he's going to provide for it. He wants to give you the inner peace. See, our character, the fall, violated one principle, of course many principles, but one in particular, and it opened the door to fear. And what was the flaw in that? Not trusting God. Pure and simple. God said, don't eat of the tree of life. They said, well, of course, they believed the enemy who, who told them a lie. 
But ultimately, it came down to trusting who? God. Do you believe what the Satan, this, the serpent is saying? Or do you believe what God told you? Which is interesting. Because God didn't tell him much. Notice that? Didn't give him a whole manual. Say, study this manual. It's everything about that tree and why it's bad. Didn't do that. He just said, don't eat of that tree. All the other trees you can eat. Just don't eat of that one. Isn't that interesting? And how many other things in this world does God say, you know what, that's not good for you, and I wouldn't do that. But yet people, and that's, of course, what we're going to be talking a lot about next week, by the way. And I have a funny feeling I know what it's going to come down to. Do we just trust God or don't we? He wants to give that peace. See, when we get back into a relationship with God, he gives us peace. And that peace, man, when you're just following God, and you're just listening to him, and you're just going on unction, and you're going on his word, and you're going on that gentle uh, uh, leading by the Holy Spirit, man, it's a tr- that, man, that's a great way to live. You know what that means? I don't have to worry about a daggone thing. That's what it means. And that's what Jesus said. He said, why are you worrying? Why do you worry about how you're going to be fed or what you're going to wear or anything? He said, look, if you just trust your daddy, He's going to take care of all these things. Man, if he takes care of that little sparrow that goes darting by, do you think he's going to take care of his wonderful creation, you know, his children with even more uh, provision, which is our next one? He's going to provide. God's timing is always best, and we tend to force things. He will provide in his time. What is the flaw in all of that? That we don't wait on God. Isn't that right? We tend to get impatient. Man, do we ever have an impatient culture? We want it now. And God says, you've got to wait. He's going to give us that purpose. His calling comes with that purpose. There's a vision from God, and it will be clear. The flaw, not seeing what God sees. See, the more we get to know God, we get to know what his heart is, his vision is. Andrew and I, we know what our goals are. I know her goals. I know what she wants. And there are times... I can say, honey, I wish we could do that right now. But, you know, for the majority of our life, I've made her dreams as much a reality as I possibly can. Am I right, honey? I found out what her dreams were, and I said, I will make them happen as best I can to not, and not violate anything else. And there were times when I realized that to do one of those dreams might be violating another thing. I said, we just got to wait on God. Wait, wait, wait. And then boom, when God made him happen. Didn't have to go into debt for it. Didn't have to sacrifice her family for it. Didn't have to sacrifice her marriage for it. The weight on his hand. See, he has a purpose. When we don't see what God sees, then we miss out. We bypass him. And we're not going to get the best. He wants to see you happy, and it will come through that wonderful divine purpose, the purpose of the relationships in your life. You know, a lot of times women get a real, and I'm going to say something that's not very popular. (laughs) So don't throw anything now. Uh, I got some guys in here who really like me, but anyway, we don't talk about it. Anyway, um, don't throw anything. But I'm going to say this. Look, I think, ladies, I think you've been sold a bill of goods. I think you've been lied to. 
the greatest calling on this planet, if you have that opportunity, is to mother, man. Now, it could be that you can't have children. Well, then you can mother in other ways. One of our closest, dearest friends, we would, if Andrea and I died, we would gladly let her raise her children because she loves them as much as we do. She can't have any children. She's tried and she's tried and she's tried and she's tried. That's been a real issue for her. But man, do you see, I, she runs a children's ministry. And she loves children more than anybody that I know. And she pours into those kids and loves on them. But I think sometimes this world is telling ladies that you have to have more of something. And I'm not saying it's the only calling you should have, but it's an awesome one. And I wonder, is abandoning that a part of the snowball? Is that why sometimes a lot of our children are growing up not having nurture because we've been told that doesn't really matter? Man, am I stirring it up or what? It's so old-fashioned. Folks, okay, so guys, we were talking about this recently. Somebody told me, with, I mean, this was a guy who I was hunting with, and he, he's looked at it and he said, man, young men need fathers. I said, amen. We need fathering. To mother and to father, one of our first callings. So important to the, to the nurture of a human being's health and, and, the, and the ability. Now, if you didn't get much of that, that doesn't mean you can't get it from your heavenly daddy. You most certainly can. But it's a calling, folks. Now, that, that's, that's, that's not what the mess, this message was about today, by the way. I, I don't know why God co-opted it, but here we are. But don't, don't sell that. Don't, don't diminish that. When women, when, when you have decided to say, look, I don't want to go out and have this wonderful career so that I can pour into these precious gifts that God has given me, if indeed that is your call, don't let anybody tear that down. Don't any, let anybody diminish that. I mean, I could say a whole lot more right now. Oh. Well, I mean, there are people in the world right now who are saying that that's not what they want our women to be. But you look at my children, they're not perfect. <laughs> they are not perfect. But they know they're loved. And they know that we love them enough to tell them no. And we love them enough to take that time to pour into them. But if we got everybody else in the world going out and say, look, there's a better thing. There's something more important to make your mark on this earth. Folks, I, I, I just don't see that in the Bible. It's not in there. And this part of the snowball is that after generation after generation, as we continue to abandon our children, to not pour into them the necessary things, then can you see how that's going to destroy a culture? Do you see how that's going to continue to diminish generation after generation the human potential? Then when we don't believe that the first and most important thing is if God gives you the gift of children, that I pour into them, that I pattern for them, that I do these kind of things. Look, don't listen to anybody else. This is, this, these are part of the lies. And man, do I know it's cutting across something. I mean, the statistics are coming in. Feminism has been uh, active for many, many, many years. But what they're finding 
is that women are, tr- are, are frantically trying to have children in their 40s and 50s, trying to make up for lost time. God bless them, and may they have many. But just don't, God, you know, just don't treat, treat them as a, a book or a toy or a pro- computer game. Love them. Nurture them. Pour into them. Tell them about God's love. Man, my mama, I, I'll never forget those days that she would, I would ask her out of that deep curiosity. My, and I would look at her and I said, Mom, is there really a God out there? And she said, yes, there is, David. I know him. Your grandma knows him. And by the way, your grandma prays for you every day. And I remember looking at that and saying, that's cool. Where's the next party? But that little truth got inside me and wore away at me, wore away at me, wore away until when I was 17 years old, I couldn't run from him anymore. Because once that truth was inside me, and it came from somebody, look, if you don't think your children want to hear from you, even when they tell you to go jump on the lake, why is it that when we get into our 40s and 50s or even 30s, we start to say, well, the way my mom and dad used to do this, the way my mama used to say, why do they quote you if they're not listening, hanging on every word you say? They are. Even if they tell you that was stupid, they still believe it. You know why? Because we're all hardwired to listen. It's in nature. It's, it's everywhere. Man, did I ever get off my nose? But okay. Don't hate me. I'm supposed to be finishing up here. Last thing, every specific calling will work toward God's master plan. It will. Short-sightedness is a weakness of the modern-day church. We're believing those lies. See, there is the tension in the church right now, and that is healing the brokenhearted, those who have been devastated by a cult. Catch this, please. Please catch this. My tension is that I have to continue to show the love of God to those who have been rolled over by this huge snowball. And to continue to love them, love them, to tell them, look, and you might even be in that condition today where you've been rolled over by the snowball and you've believed some of those lies. God still loves you. He's for you. He wants to pick you up and he wants to take you and he wants to, to, to move you on. But look, I've also got to bring up the next generation. I've got to teach these young ones, look, don't listen to that mess. Do it right. I had the benefit of doing that. I had people in my life that I looked to I came from a broken home, but I turned to those who had a a good marriage, and I said, please show me how to do this because I have no clue. See, there's the tension. You see, you're following me on that? That as a pastor, I have to encourage not necessarily idealism, but the plan of God. We can't get away from that plan of God. And as as best I'm able, I'm going to teach my children, I'm going to teach your children, I'm going to teach anybody who will listen there is a plan, and if you do it this way, God says, I will bless you, and for generations I will bless you. That's his promise. But over here, those who have been broken, those who have inherited a broken situation or, or generations of brokenness, God wants to pick up those pieces, and God wants to start and say, from here on out, <laughs> something new starts. That's me. I planted the stake in the ground and said, from here on out, I'm going to do it this way. God rescues a people. God redeems a people. And God releases a people. See, we do have a purpose.
And it's not just being parents. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I went off on that, other than God had that. God wanted to speak to someone in this room about that. That's why he did it. But if you're here today and you're struggling and you're fearful of giving your life to God and, you're, and you've been holding back, God says, man, I love you and I'm for you and I've got something that is going to so enthuse you. You know what enthusiasm means being full of God, by the way? Inspire you and dip into something so much deeper and real and lasting and fulfilling. Be honest with yourself. Are you happy with your life? Are you happy with your life? Is there something more? Then can I suggest that God does have something more and it begins right now.